You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. And free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Where's my rocket pack, Secord? You gotta let me use it one more time. I'm tired of squared answer with you, kid. I can slap you with grand theft, treason, espionage, and that's just my shortness. Willie, give me the cuffs. No, look, they got my girl. Ah, oh, God, Cliff, no. Yeah, they set up a rendezvous. They want to swap Jenny for the rocket. Look, kid, I understand how you feel, but you gotta let us handle this. I gotta go alone or they're gonna kill her. I'll give you a rocket back. Tomorrow, I swear. Hey, this ain't negotiation. Those guys are playing for keeps. I can handle Valentine. The Valentine gang has only hired muscle. They're working for a Nazi agent. Someone we think is highly placed in Hollywood society. Someone our intrepid G-men have been unable to identify. It's Neville Sinclair. What? It's Neville Sinclair. Come on. Yeah, sure, it makes perfect sense. That's why it was Boston Eddie's men around at the South Seas Club. That's why he has Jenny. <laughs> nice try, kid. We're taking him downtown and we're locking him up. We'll take it from here, Mr. Hughes. Let's go, kid. Hey! No guns! Son of a bitch will fly. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming a new guest, and that is fellow author Ed Erdelak. Ed, how you doing today? Hey, Perry. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming on. Uh, so what I like to do with new guests is to give them a chance to introduce themselves to the audience, tell them a little bit about yourself, and what you do. Yeah. Okay. So as Perry said, my name is Ed Erdelak. I am an author of 15 novels. Uh, I'm most known for a Macabre Rider series. It was a weird Western. Uh, I did um, of four books uh, about a Hasidic gunslinger traveling through the Old West, uh, kind of uh, fighting demons and tracking the uh, renegade master who betrayed his mystic order of astral travelers to the uh, great old ones of the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, so I was born in uh, Indiana, educated in Chicago. I came out here to Los Angeles in about 2000, 1999, trying to do uh, screenwriting. Didn't have a lot of luck at it. Uh, kind of switched in a roundabout to roundabout way to uh, novels. And as I said, I've published uh, 15 so far. Um, uh, dozens of short stories placed here and there. I did a uh, independent movie, a uh, Western back in 2009 called Meaner Than Hell. You can check that out on Amazon uh, streaming. And uh, that's what brings me here today. <laughs> okay. Very cool. Um, so before we jump too much into uh current stuff why don't you tell people a little bit about how you got into superheroes uh comic books anything like that 
Uh, the first comic books I probably read, I couldn't even read. I was just looking at the pictures. You know, I think I had a one of those giant sized treasury edition werewolf by nights is one of the first things I remember reading. And it had like a uh, Spider-Man in it. I think I begged for it because Spider-Man was on it. And they had that, you know, that TV show in the seventies or early eighties. I can't remember the, right. the uh, guy's right. name, but it was a Spider-Man show and everything. And so I was heavy into Spider-Man and uh, I would make up the stories as I went along. Uh, so then um, I got that werewolf by night became the first uh, title I kind of collected because uh Sort of like Mr. Glass in uh, Unbreakable, my mom would kind of coax me to uh, get my grades better every week by like uh, she got she got a big old stack of Werewolf by Nights from some flea flea market or something, and she would like give me an issue a week if I uh, you know did all right in school that week and everything. So that was the first uh, series I had a full run of and everything. And uh, superheroes, uh, I can remember watching the Shazam show, like where the one where he was uh you know traveling around in the Winnebago and stuff. <laughs> in the 70s and uh of course superman you know um uh batman from the tv show and uh, christopher reeve superman and mm-hmm. uh from you know it just kind of branched out from there i started collecting uh gi joe comics uh, was it one of the first big ones i was into sergio aragones uh grew the wanderer was a big one uh i think it was doug murray did the nom i got real into that vietnam comic that, that marvel put up for like it was like an eight uh, year limited series Mm-hmm. Got into that and uh, just spread out from there. I, I kind of I got to be a comics fan um, in the 90s, uh, right in that uh, age where like it was just a great time to be a comics fan. Like uh, all those uh, reimaginings of superheroes were coming out like uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns and uh, The Killing Joke and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's where my comic book uh, stuff came from. I was a big Captain America fan. Uh, uh, yeah. That's that's probably where all that came from. And movies, uh, um, I was always a movie watcher. I think I watched a lot of uh, genre stuff from Sonus Fanguli uh, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They had they had uh, you know or stuff every was it Saturdays or Sundays or something. All the Godzilla movies, all the Hammer mm-hmm. movies, uh, Universal Horror, and yeah. So it just kind of all stemmed from childhood. Kept on going. I got arrested. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up in the in the northwest suburbs, so I definitely remember uh, Sven Gulli growing up as well. Okay, yeah, I was in Cal City, uh, south suburbs over there. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was up in uh, yeah, I was northwest suburbs, uh, Des Plaines, Arlington Heights, Park Ridge. Area okay, is yeah. where I was. Um, uh, where'd you? You said you went to school in Chicago. Where'd you go to school in? By the way, I went to uh, Columbia College on uh, oh, off of, okay, uh, Michigan yeah. over there. Yeah, I went for film and stuff. Yeah, really I know a lot, lot of. <laughs> I know a lot of people who went there. Um, I unfortunately could not convince my parents to help me pay for Columbia, though. So uh, they're like, you gotta go to a real school. So <laughs> is what they told me. <laughs> you probably uh, got more out of school than I did, honestly, at a real school. Like, uh, I, I did not use the film degree ex- to get me anything except like temp jobs and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's that's how it goes. Um, but anyway, uh, so. We're going to talk about uh, today's uh, pick is the Rocketeer. But before we talk about that, um, what are you into these days? Is there anything you're you're watching, you're reading that that's kind of grabbing your attention um, right now? Um, I don't know about genre wise. Like uh, I got heavy. I, the latest thing I've been watching crazy enough is uh, the Wu-Tang Clan American Saga on Hulu. It's uh, kind of this uh, uh, stylized um, imagining of the 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 getting together of the rap group uh, Wu-Tang and everything mm-hmm. in uh, in um in New York and uh, they but they do these really uh, interesting uh takes on uh on 
on the ways the albums are assembled and stuff like they they do riffs on uh like they did a for old, old dirty bastard had a uh a 70s era kind of black exploitation episode where he was like this kind of black exploitation hero that was out to kill like a uh he, he was hired to assassinate like a uh an android version of android double of uh the guy that ran soul train oh, <laughs> wow remember. it's pretty crazy it's really out there they have like they have kung fu centric episodes they did one that was like the killing uh mm-hmm. the killer john woo with the pigeons flying around and everything and it's very yeah, yeah. fun yeah, it's it's not what you think. Like from the from the ads and stuff, it, you, that's very fun. Um, it's fun for like a movie watcher and stuff to kind of go and get all the references. It's, there's like a New Jack City episode, you know, from from the '90s. They got one set in the uh, in uh, the '80s and stuff, and uh, it's very interesting. It's very interesting because it kind of shows how they pull their uh, influences from like uh, Chang Che '70s like uh, kung fu movies and and from uh, uh, Shogun Assassin and stuff, and, and mm. they, how they pull all their elements together in a, creating their music and everything. That's pretty fun. Um, watching a lot of, I've watched a lot of horror and stuff, um, mainly with my daughter. My daughter's a big horror hound. Uh, mm-hmm. We go to Monster Palooza every year and all that. Um, i trying to think of the last thing I saw, though. I think it was probably, uh, I watched that show, um, Swarm, uh, which was about an obsessed kind of Beyonce fan or something that was going around slaughtering people that didn't like her. her oh, really? Uh, her I haven't heard of everything. <laughs> it's really crazy. Really crazy. Dominique uh, Fishback, I think, is the is the actress in it. And stuff. Oh, she was in um uh what was it uh Project Power, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We covered that uh a while back. Uh, uh one of the one of the last films Derek and I talked about on on the show actually. Oh, Derek. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was the original co-host of this uh, before he passed uh, for the first sixty ep- episodes or so. Oh, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely. I, I still go back and listen to those old episodes uh, when he was on. Um, so it's a nice way to, to keep him alive in memory and all that. Um, but anyway, uh, today we are talking about The Rocketeer, uh, 1991 movie directed by Joe Johnston, uh, adapted from the comic book by Dave Stevens. Uh, what's your history with this character? Have you ever read the, the Dave Stevens comics? I sought out the Dave Stevens comic because of this movie, because I was such a fan of this movie. Like, I loved this movie from the get go. And I went out and found the comics. They were kind of hard to get a hold of at one point and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to admit, uh, I mean, maybe it's dependent on like what you come to first and everything. Kind of like, uh, you know, Robert E. Howard Conan, your 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 estimation of the Schwarzenegger movie kind of rises and falls according to if you saw it first or if you read his stuff first or if you read the Roy uh-huh. Thomas comics first or something. And in this case, I prefer the movie to the books, uh, to the comic. The comic is beautifully illustrated, um, but I it's got this kind of uh, like I know Jenny is is pretty much Betty Page in the comic and everything. Yeah, and it's got yeah. a little bit of a cheesecake feel to it and everything. And it's not quite as. Uh, wholesome <laughs> as the movie mm. is and everything it's good it's it's very good but yeah i really prefer the movie honestly but again i came to it first so yeah i never read the comics um but i was just doing some research on it last night and yeah they are now all available uh i think it's idw has a has a collection like the rocketeer adventures or something like that um but if, if you search on amazon it's like all in one volume because he uh didn't do a lot of it. It was just like a very, yeah. you know, these little short stories here and there because he was primarily working in like film and animation and comics was just kind of like this hobby for him. And and mm-hmm. like you said, it's beautifully illustrated. He spent a lot of time uh, on detail. Um, 
so it took him a while to get these these stories out there. So there's you're not talking about a whole wealth of, of backlog material if you're interested in finding the Dave Stevens stuff. In fact, I, I think no. that there's probably more stuff done by other creators who are not Dave Stevens based on the Rocketeer mm-hmm. as opposed to stuff that he did. Um, but the I had difference. Oh, I was Sorry, going to say on. the major difference uh, between it for me. I, I said like uh, the Betty Page character is actually obviously based on the real pinup, you know, model Betty mm-hmm. Page and everything. And he kind of depicts her. He, he uses a lot of excuses to depict her imperiled and everything, you know, like tied up mm-hmm. and in some kind of bondage thing and everything. And so it's a little bit seedy to me and everything. But it's it's still a beautiful comic and it, it looks really cool. The other the other big difference was uh, in the movie, um, the the inventor of the rocket is uh, what Howard Hughes. But in uh, the comic, he used uh, like a thin, I think a thinly disguised uh, uh, Doc. Uh, oh my God, I'm blanking Doc on his Savage, name. Yeah, you know I'm talking about Doc Savage exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've read about that too. That they, you know, they, um, it was, it was obviously supposed to be Doc Savage. They never mention him directly, but, and they never show him completely, but they kind of, they hint at it. They've got like his, um, his team his there with it. So, Monk yeah, is yeah. There so, and all those guys, yeah. Right. So it's pretty heavily indicated that it is, it is Doc Savage, which the movie obviously had to change to Howard Hughes. And we'll talk about Howard Hughes and Terry O'Quinn's performance in this because I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah. Of it too. He's great. Um, but yeah, most of what I had read about the comic books, because I'd never read them myself, uh, very similar in line with what you were saying. A lot of people were saying like, yeah, the movie kind of streamlines and improves a lot of it. And uh, the Betty Page stuff is interesting because he writes her name in the comic as Betty with a Y, whereas, you know, the yeah. real Betty Page spelled it with I-E. And mm-hmm. there's an interesting idea that because he sent these likenesses he did of Betty Page to the real Betty Page. And she didn't approve it with her no she, but did she didn't approve it. approve it yeah not for this yeah. movie not for this movie but she movie. did she did like it in the comic book and she gave his and he had like sent her a check or something to pay for his use of her likeness when he found out that mm-hmm. she was still alive and then they had struck up a friendship and he had said in an interview that it was kind of weird that he grew up like idolizing her and now he's he's driving her around to pick up her social security checks and that kind of stuff <laughs> that's really cool um, but yeah, when the movie came out, they did ask Betty Page about using her name and she would not allow it to be used uh, for the movie. So then they changed it. Um, to, I wonder if uh, she asked Jenny. for, did she ask for like a, a large, a, a check, for, a bigger check from like, you know, the studios or something and didn't get it or something? Or? I mean, that would make sense because it was, um, I mean, it was Disney. So, but uh, it just says in the trivia that she would not allow her name to be used in the film. So I'm not sure exactly what the negotiations were, what the, what the story was behind it, but I think maybe she was more okay with it being in a comic book because it's got a much lower audience and because, mm-hmm. you know, she had never even known about the comic book at all. She had never known that her likeness was in this comic book. Um, and whereas movies are a much bigger thing. And by that point, you know, she's what in her seventies at the time this movie came out. I think, you know, yeah. she's probably kind of done with um, doesn't really care much about her likeness being used or is not really interested in, in that being what she's remembered for anymore, or it could be any number of reasons, but, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now me, I saw this movie in the theater. I remember seeing it uh, in 1991 when I was like, what, eight years old or something in the, seven or eight years old in the theater and um, just loving it um, when I saw it the first time and years later, just dis- rediscovering it on DVD. And, and it's one of those things where you see a movie like this, when you're a kid, it grabs your attention. And then when you're an adult and you try and go back and watch it again, there's usually one of two reactions you have. It's either, 
oh my god this is what was so i thinking yeah bad what was i thinking yeah and the other one's like wow this actually still holds together pretty this damn really well. holds up yeah and yeah for me it's the latter, the latter for one. sure same here yeah. same here yeah i mean this movie holds together very well i mean i've got some minor quibbles with it mainly i i do wish that we had seen more rocketeer actually is probably mm-hmm. the biggest uh complaint i have about this movie but otherwise it, it still holds together really well it's a lot of fun he spends a lot of time on the ground yeah for being the rocketeer and everything like, right yeah sometimes the yeah. rocket is just shooting him across the the south seas club you know on, on a tray and everything but uh on a dolly but um yeah uh it's it really does hold up i didn't see it in the theater i i remember the commercials and i think i i started working in a video store in the uh mid 90s or something and i think that's where i first watched it like i just took it home and was like oh this is one of those things you know you all of a sudden i was everything that i had always wanted to see and didn't get a chance to it was available to me for free so i was <laughs> taking home tapes all the time and yeah i, I definitely saw this on video first and uh, i loved it yeah it was it was really good um uh, I don't know what it is about this movie. There's something um, I I don't know how you can be nostalgic for things you never knew, <laughs> you know. But people <laughs> like I guess that's where like Indiana Jones, you know, comes in. It's got it's definitely got that Indiana Jones like color palette and feel. In the in the mid '80s or late '80s, they were doing a lot of like uh, uh, Tucker Man and his Dream, and and mm. and uh, you know, uh, I guess before that they did Chinatown. You know, a lot of those kind of uh 70s 80s 90s hollywood looks back at the 30s and uh uh it got me into it it was not an era that i was familiar with except you know through my dad my dad was a big world war ii buff but uh um there's something really uh like i said nostalgic about it which is hard weird to say because you know i said i'm not i'm not familiar with any of that stuff like personally but uh it's it's really american (laughs) it's very uh I wonder how it plays with like Europeans, you know, or, or like just somebody from not America. Like I, I've never really uh, spoken to anybody well, else about that and asked how so it goes I, with them. I actually do have some uh, some input on that stuff because I okay. first off, I get what you're saying about the um, the nostalgic for things that you were never really there to experience the first time. Because I had I had that too, and I think probably. Um, you know, my dad's probably very similar. My, my, I, I was born later in my dad's life. So there, my dad and yours are probably around the same generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, I got into a lot of the stuff like Indiana Jones, you know, um, the Rocketeer, this movie, uh, James Bond, a lot of that came from my dad's influence. Cause that was the stuff same. he experienced growing up and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Like, you know, getting nostalgic for things that you inherit inheriting nostalgia from your parents i guess in a way yeah yeah, um but i will say that you know this movie it it didn't do well when it came out in the theaters it um it was kind of a financial flop but it became very popular uh afterwards like it i think it earned more than it's uh i think it earned more on uh, home video uh just in rentals than it did in the in the actual theater um or no no half as about half as much but it was a commercial disappointment and it had developed a really big cult following over the years because even though it wasn't financially successful, it became very popular in America and surprisingly also in Japan. It became very popular in Japan, apparently, which I, which oh, was funny because I was watching sense, this last night. Yeah, I mean, this movie actually came out before my wife was born. So when I was watching it last night, I told her what it is. She's like, I don't think that's ever come out in Japan. I've never heard of it before, but I looked it up later. It turns out that, yeah, it actually had a big following here in Japan as well. 
he has a he has kind of a Japanese look, I guess, with the helmet and everything. You know, he looks like Ultraman or something. So yeah, it, you're right. I, I am seeing that now. It does have that kind of thing, and I think that might have played something into it. Uh, especially if you're looking at like the my favorite version of the poster is like the Art Deco poster, which mm-hmm. it. I mean, you yeah, could where very he's got easily... his arms like at his sides, and it's kind of he's kind of streaking, and yeah, it, it does. Right. He's like yeah, and profile. It's really cool. You're right. It, it's got a very Tokusatsu feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's, and we've talked about this before on this show, but the nineties were an interesting time for superhero movies because it's, it's this post Batman 89 era. Um, Mm -hmm. Hollywood still doesn't quite know what to make of superhero movies where it's like, you know, well, obviously there's an audience for this, but we don't really take it seriously. Plus we don't really have the budget to do it in live action. So there was kind of this weird period where instead of going after the, a lot of the big superhero properties, they were instead going after these more pulpish properties. So you had like the shadow, you know, mm-hmm. the rocketeer, uh, the phantom. And that was kind of like the big trilogy of these, the big Trinity of these characters that came out in the nineties. And I always say, it's mm-hmm. kind of funny looking back at it because, and we had covered the shadow and the phantom on previous episodes. And of those three, like, I think I've always said that the rocketeer is like far and away the best one of those three, the Phantom, yeah, it is. I'm it, surprised it, that yeah, this wasn't covered and those were. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah, it, like, well, when I, I mean, saw that this was open, I was like, <laughs> oh, I love this movie. Let's talk about it. It's very interesting. Yeah, the the, the types of movies that people su- suggest on here because there's there are some big holes that haven't been filled in here. Like for example, I always say that nobody's asked to come on to talk about the dark knight for example which yeah that's crazy wow that's huge maybe it's just because those those are such well-worn territory you know people have talked you know endlessly about those online just on facebook and stuff they just feel like they don't have anything new to say or something and who knows maybe i don't have anything to say about the rocketeer but i just love gushing about this movie it's well yeah literally my favorite my favorite superhero movie I think another part of it is just people probably just assume, well, obviously you've talked about that. It's one of the biggest ones. So, um, mm-hmm. so, so sometimes they'll just go for the more obscure stuff just out of, uh, just out of, you know, reflex. Yeah. Um, the niche, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. So like, this is far and away the best of those, that Trinity of nineties uh, pulp movies. This is far and away the best, the phantom it's, it's got some charms. It's got some very good things in it. You know, Catherine Zeta Jones is great in it. Billy Zane mm-hmm. is great in it. The story's mostly good, but then you've got like Treat Williams and um, uh, Christy Swanson who are awful. And so it's, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. The shadow is just very, it's very rough. It's rough yeah, to the watch shadow that is, it's, it's Russell Mulcahy, right? The shadow. It's got some, cool I think stuff so. Yeah. That invisible building. I love the invisible skyscraper mm-hmm. in the shadow. That's really cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't, uh, it doesn't land like this does. Uh, no, I it doesn't. Yeah. Intended. It's got a lot of bad landings in it, but it's it, itself, it lands pretty well. Yeah. I think, I think a big part of that is Joe Johnston um, and yeah. also uh, uh, Billy Campbell, I think is his name. He does, who plays uh, Cliff. Great, yeah. yeah. They're both they were both fans of the original. I mean, Joe Johnston is such a fan of pulp stuff. You can see that in, in this movie, you can see, I mean, he worked on Indiana Jones. Um, and in fact, uh, Dave Stevens, I believe also worked on uh, some of the Indiana Jones movies as well. So I'm not sure if there were, I didn't see anything in the trivia, but I do wonder if they had had some connection on those films, if they had had some interaction of, I'd imagine if, you know, they both have this kind of, these interests that it's it's more likely than not that they would have you know geeked out about this stuff on the set of indiana Jones. yeah 
the seeds of it were planted like you know over the uh the the catering table at Rec Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And uh, and you know Joe Jobson he then went on to do you know Captain America the First Avenger which is like mm-hmm. very much a pulp superhero film so it's very I mean they picked the perfect director to do that kind of movie set in World War Two. Yeah, I actually saw this uh, recently again on, on screen. Uh, buddy and I went to the Egyptian down in uh, uh, down in Hollywood because uh, Johnson was there. Kevin Smith presented it, and like they had him, uh, they had a Q and A of him there. I think it was right before the Blu Ray came out, and they did uh, the Rocketeer. It was right before uh, First Avenger was coming out, and everything. Oh, nice! So it was really cool. Really cool to see. Yeah, and this is let's let's dig into the movie a little bit. Um... What are some things that really kind of stand out to you rewatching this all these years later? Uh, the score was the first thing I was thinking about as soon as the as soon as the end credit the I mean end credits obviously the beginning credits as soon as the beginning credits come up it sounds like uh, it's James Horner I love James Horner I love Glory that's one of my favorite scores of all time um, mm-hmm. he does this it sounds like uh, it sounds like you're you're in these you're in all black and the, and the titles are coming up and you're in this. Uh, you see the hangar doors kind of open up to the planes and everything. And you, it, it sounds like the music you would listen to if you went to the Smithsonian, to the air to the aeronautics museum or something. And you're in one of the, like uh, you're in one of the amphitheaters kind of listening to uh, kind of watching like a, a thing on the history of flight or something. It's very sweeping and kind of nostalgic. And it, mm-hmm. it, it makes you think of like propellers and antique planes and biplanes and, and P-38s and stuff and everything. It, it actually reminds me of uh uh, later when I saw Winter Soldier, um, when he goes into the Smithsonian, you know, Cap, and he's got that, uh, you know, the Captain America exhibit, and they're playing, like, mm-hmm. music, and the, the guy is, like, narrating his life and everything, and the kid sees him and all that, and, you know, he, he tells him to shush and all this. And, uh, it reminds me of that. It's very, like, uh, kind of low-key low, low key in the beginning, and then it gets, uh, in the action sequences, it has very distinctive, they speed it up, and uh, it's very rousing, you know, it's a really cool score. I, I love the score for this. Uh, I mentioned yeah. the Indiana Jones color palette too. Yeah, that's that's something that stands out to me. The, the all the beige and you know, mm-hmm. uh, the oiled leather and stuff, and uh, you know, <laughs> wood and everything. It's it, I could smell this movie almost. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know that that is something funny. I, I realized watching this last night. I'm like, I don't think Cliff ever wears anything different than just this aviator's yeah. outfit throughout the entire movie. He's got that awesome coat. Yeah, he's got the coat. I, that, that, it is a it is a cool coat. Yeah, but I'm just like wondering. I'm like, man, I wonder if he's even washed those pants or that shirt at all. <laughs> yeah, and that one crash he has in the beginning, like when the oil is spraying from the instrument panel mm-hmm. in his face and everything, he's like a total mess, but uh, he's always got that jacket on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the score, something that, that surprised me when I watched this film each time is that the score and like the color palette and like the design, it all makes it feel like this is supposed to be a much more larger scale story than it actually is. Cause when you think about it, the story is actually pretty small scale in, in comparison to all that other stuff. Yeah. The airfield, the club, and uh, you know, the, at the end, the big set pieces, you know, Griffith, mm-hmm. Griffith observatory and everything. Yeah. It goes pretty fast. Like it, I was kind of surprised when I was rewatching again last night. Cause I'm just like, Oh wow! It's like you know we're at we're the already there. we're <laughs> already at the end we're almost at the end. It's like oh there's that yeah. that scene at the club and you know he tells her he's she's the rocketeer, and I remember as a kid thinking like how did you miss this the whole and then watching now I'm like no it actually makes sense because he's only yeah. appeared like one time and that and it was like that day and she's been on a date the whole day with like Neville mm-hmm. Sinclair so she was like yeah, I don't know what you're talking I love that bit though when he kind of like 
he kind of grins a little bit right before he says it like oh this is this is going to be cool i'm actually like going to tell her i'm this like this mm-hmm. famous persona and she has no idea who it is <laughs> she's like what are you talking <laughs> the rock of who <laughs> it's great <laughs> yeah yeah i love that part um i really love the performances in this too uh one of my favorite moments in this is um uh eddie valentine who's played by paul servino uh, he's um, awesome he's got all the he's- best lines he's so great one of my favorite moments is when he finds out Sinclair is a Nazi and, you know, he delivers that great line. He, that scene. Yeah. <laughs> he coming, says, I'm swelling up. Yeah. That's starting to like get teary eyed. I love it. I know. He's like, I, I may, I may not make an honest buck, but I'm a, but I'm hundred percent American. And, you know, yeah, and, and I don't work for no two bit Nazi <laughs> and they know. all turn on the Nazis. It's so great. Such a great and, line. Yeah. And that was actually based reflected in real life. That was a nod to how real life American gangsters had acted. Yeah. Um, uh, because Mussolini had persecuted Sicilian families and then obviously Jewish mobsters would have been against Hitler and they were organized crime with some of the biggest allies against the American government when it came yeah. out to finding Nazi spies. Yeah. They supported the, they totally supported the war effort and everything. Well, like in Godfather, I mean, you know, the, how proud they are of Michael because he's a warrior mm-hmm. and all this stuff and everything. Um, Sorvino was so awesome in this movie. Like, uh, I love the bit where, um, they 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 turn on the Nazis and then the, and then the G-men roll up and they're kind of like at one point uh, Servino and the G-men are like shooting their Tommy gun side by side and you kind of they look at each other like <laughs> oh, this is unique you know, unique situation he kind of grins and then they go back to shooting and everything it's so so yeah. cool <laughs> um man I love Jennifer Connelly in this too like she wow. is I mean first off they made her they made her out look very very much like Betty Page in this uh, yeah and um. But somehow better for me. Like there, there, there's yeah. a wholesome element to her in this. It's very movie star quality. There's this uh, scene, like uh, speaking of how great she looks in this and everything. Uh, right before, right after she's taken hostage on the on the zeppelin, right after Sinclair says, "Oh, we got the girl. The rocket's going to come to us." There's this shot of her being held by I think Lothar, the big guy, and it's just in the dark. It's kind of in the dark, but the floodlights of Griffith Park kind of pass over her face, and she's mm-hmm. just bl- in blazing soft white lighting, and her eyes are glistening, and she's just. She's breathtaking in that shot. And yeah, everything. it's like really beautiful. Yeah. Oh, she's she's one of my favorite actresses. Like she's just she's she's so talented and you know she's mm-hmm. so beautiful too. And um, and yeah, she's she's also got this. She's perfectly. She's got the perfect look for a movie like this. Like her. Yeah. She she looks like a 1930s movie star. She looks like nose art in mm. this movie. Yeah. Um, and then. You know, Timothy Dalton as Neville Sinclair, which I love, too, right. that the fact they have, because I don't think this was in the comic book, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but um, he, you know, they they had he's basically kind of a nod to, to Ur- he's basically supposed to be Earl Flynn because there were these rumors that Earl Flynn was a he was a fascist, fascist sympathizer. Yeah, sympathies and stuff. Yeah, which is really cool. I mean, they, they even have him in the uh, Avengers of Robin Hood. Like, it looks exactly like the set when he's fighting up the stairs, the one guy and everything. And that one scene they shoot and everything. He's got the same, you know, clothes on, the same, you know, color as uh, Robin Hood from 39 and stuff. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, definitely they... supposed to be Errol Flynn. He's, he's, really, he's really great in it, too. Yeah, he's got, he's, he's very, like, mustache twiddly at points and everything. And yeah. Everything. I love the bit where he's trying to seduce her and he's just using lines from his movies. And she's such a movie fan that she's, like, picking them all out and stuff. Oh, you said that in, uh, to, to, like, Carol Lombard or something on, on top of the Empire State Building in such and such a movie. And it's pretty mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, apparently Earl Flynn had said that, um, uh, was Herman Urban was the greatest influence on on his on his life, and 
Urban was uh, was a was a notorious one of the, was a dangerous Nazi um, uh, operatives during World War II, and oh, wow. he was a Nazi spy even though he was half Jewish. And so there's there have been these rumors persistent even to this day that um, that Flynn was a was a Nazi sympathizer. Um, you know he had been he had had a- expressions of anti-Semitism, um, uh, and there's like diff- there's a lot of differing. Um, uh, accounts of this about whether or not he was a Nazi sympathizer. And there was a lot of that happening in America at the time. People oh, yeah. That. A lot of guys were, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Disney and, <laughs> you know, it was just funny because oh, yeah. it was, it's kind of funny that, that they use Errol Flynn and, and kind of paint him as a Nazi sympathizer when Disney was kind of like a known uh, kind of friend to that Henry Ford. I mean, and uh, um, yeah, there was uh, a, Errol Flynn, that's too bad. I love Errol Flynn so much, but oh, go, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. There was a, I'm not sure if you ever saw Family Guy, but I remember there's this one bit and it's mixed, but I remember there's one bit when there's like this scene where they, there's, there, I can't remember, like it's a, it, they wake up uh, Walt Disney from um, uh, cryo sleep and they're like, welcome back, Mr. Disney. He's like, are the Jews gone yet? And they're like, no. And he's like, put me back to sleep or something like back. that. Terrible, fucking terrible. <laughs> but that was, that's true to life. That's who Walt Disney was. He was an notorious, yeah, yeah. you know, he was, uh, you know, you know, f- fucking terrible for the um the house in, uh, on un-american activities total bastard yeah, uh, so it's kind of funny yeah. that um disney is the one who ends up making this yeah, movie that now. put this out right right uh the, the little the little cameos by uh um you know people impersonating old stars are pretty cool the guy that plays wc fields is great uh, clark gable kind of shoulders, shoulders passed at one point and mm-hmm. stuff and um uh, there's there, there's neat cameos by like uh, just like Clint Howard I noticed showed up as a Mater D just blinking you'll miss him real quick and stuff at the mm. club and everything and uh, I love the guy that plays the big uh, you know Lothar the big henchman he's kind of based on well, he's based on a guy that was uh, kind of the face of uh, Universal horror movies for a while in the 30s uh, played the creeper a guy named Rondo uh, what's his name Rondo Hatton he sounds like oh, a okay. character on the Mandalorian or something but he had that. Uh, he had this uh, kind of gigantism and stuff. And so his face actually looked like that and everything. And he actually appears in the movie um, uh, at the point where Cliff loses control right after he saves uh, the, the clown, the wing walking scene. And he's kind mm-hmm. of blazing through that cornfield. And the one guy goes, big gopher. Or something. the two farmers are standing there. He's the guy on the right. He's the guy that they actually modeled uh, the face of, of uh, Lothar after and stuff, which is kind of Oh, funny. really? Like, I didn't know that. He was he was like a, a journalist and he did a lot of movies and stuff. He had the same kind of gigantism thing that uh, Richard Keel and Ted Cassidy and uh, Peter Mayhew had and stuff. Um, so yeah, they modeled the, they modeled the face of uh, Lothar after him. That was kind of mm-hmm. cool because he's the actual guy. Uh, Dave Steven, Dave Stevens is actually in this too, which I didn't know. I learned this uh, yesterday that uh, the sequence when uh, Howard is. Uh, Howard Hughes is showing them the uh, the he's about to show them that awesome animated like uh, you know propaganda film oh, that Max yeah, yeah, Fleischer yeah, looking yeah. thing. Uh, they they show the Nazi jetpack kind of being tested, and Dave Stevens is the test pilot, which is kind of funny. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that blows up. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a again one of the things that disappoints that not disappointing. I guess more disappointing that we never got any sequels is that. I feel like there's there's such a bigger story here behind this story that I wish we could have seen more of. Yeah, um, I would have loved to seen him battling like Nazi jump troopers and stuff. You know, well, yeah, amazing. I mean, I mean, like from what I understand, like the 
you know, him using the Mauser gun and all that, like, because there's that great shot of when he, oh, he takes the Mauser right gun the he's comic, up against, yeah. right from the comic where he's up against the American flag. And it's like, that's mm -hmm. like the only time we see the fucking gun. And it's, that's yeah. gone. Go get him, kid. He doesn't even use it. Does he ever use it? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's he what I was thinking shoot about. the when glass I'm... out. I think he shoots right, and misses yeah. and the glass busts out. And that, that's like the most like badly placed glass on any kind mm -hmm. of conveyance ever. Everybody's going out that window constantly and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, um, Timothy yeah, Dalton in this, he is. That's a great job. Yeah, Timothy Dalton though he's he's so he's so, so he loves be. He, you can tell he loves playing a villain he's, in this. Like he's just odious, having, yeah. having a he's ball. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the the. There's a lot of uh, little uh, jokes in this that are little clever uh, visual jokes and stuff. Um, uh, at the club, um, when uh, Jenny's getting her checking her coat to leave and everything, because uh, Cliff told her, you know, run out and get a cab, get out of here and stuff. And uh, Lothar comes storming in, and he takes mm -hmm. his hat off. And he hangs it on this, like, uh, he, he props it on this statue next to her, of like a seahorse or something, a sculpture. And later mm. on, when she beans him, she beans him with the seahorse sculpture. Exactly. <laughs> I knew that kid said, oh, wow. Like, it's kind of like, you know, foreboding or, you know, whatever, forewarning that he's going to get beaten mm. with this freaking statue. Uh, uh, Sinclair at the end, when he's uh, leaving, he's like, oh, goodbye, you know, Miss Hollywood. And Cliff says, I don't think so. And like, uh, takes the gum off, you know, the thing. So he blows up. But uh, he doesn't miss Hollywood. He hits the Hollywood sign, like, straight on. <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was kind of funny and everything it blows up the land part of it and stuff the gun was such uh, kind of was such a funny thing too like the yeah. <laughs> that just becomes such a recurring element throughout this movie you know so many movies they figure out what happened to the land part yeah and everything mm -hmm. uh the, the valentine's i mean eddie valentine's the guy and like uh kind of as a as a one-off at the end he says uh happy valentine's day eddie or something like that when he's gonna have the mm -hmm. paratroopers like shoot him and all this and uh, like a valentine's day massacre kind of riff and uh yeah that's it's clever it's a funny little movie this the script is uh so lean it's like back to the future lean like there's uh everything just leads to the next thing everything all these little motifs like pay off in spades all the time everything the gum is like a big recurring thing mm -hmm. um uh and lady luck you know and the, the chewing gum being lucky actually i read up on beeman's the gum uh, that they use and everything and it's like uh in the 40s Beeman's gum was like traditionally lucky for pilots, apparently, uh, because oh, they would chew okay. it to get their ears to pop in the changing, like when they're up in the altitude, uh, they chew the gums mm -hmm. for their ears to pop and everything. And it was advertised as having pepsin as a main ingredient. It was supposed to be, uh, it was kind of sold as, which was not true, because uh, pepsin was actually bad for your throat, apparently, I was reading, but it was mm -hmm. sold as a motion sickness cure for like uh, sailors and pilots and stuff. So they always chewed Beeman's gum. So Beeman's gum was literally like lucky and Howard gives him like a pack of Beeman's gum at the end. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, whenever, whenever the gum, whenever the gum is not present, bad things happen. Like on the, on the, the GB that he's flying in the beginning, uh, he sticks a piece of gum on the tail, on the, on the tail of the thing. And, and um, PB is like, Oh, we just painted this thing. He picks the gum off. And of course mm. the plane gets shot and crashes and, and screws up and everything. And then uh, later yeah. on, um, you know, that goon is, is shooting and it, it's, I didn't, I was trying to remember where the hole in the rocket pack came from that he puts the gum on. And uh, it's in the scene when they when they they fight the they they kind of wrest the guns away from the mob goons in the bar, and uh, the bullet goes through the ceiling and the jet is up there and, it, and the pack gets yeah. the bullet up there and everything and so he gets the gum and sticks it on there again the gum is good luck always, and uh, when you take the gum away from Sinclair you take his luck away he blows up at the end <laughs> it's great mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, I want to talk a little bit about Terry O'Quinn too is Howard Hughes because um, you know one of the things people maybe maybe know or don't know is that uh tony stark was heavily inspired by howard hughes back when you know stanley and and uh i think it was jack kirby who 
uh, done Iron Man with him. Um, yeah. Uh, but and yeah, they based Tony Stark heavily on Howard Hughes. And I was watching this and I'm thinking, you know, man, back in the day, Terry O'Quinn could have made a pretty convincing Tony Stark as well. Yeah. For sure, that's that's an interesting idea. Yeah, he's really good. I liked. I always knew him from Young Guns. You know, he was uh, he was the lawyer. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. uh, McSween. Yeah, the lawyer that kind of like took them all in and everything. He's he's got such a great uh, kind of paternal feel to him and stuff. Even in this, you know, like in Young Guns, he's like the paternal the paternal figure to all of them. And once they lose him, they all go crazy. You know, and start blowing every, blowing everybody away and stuff. And in this, it's right. kind of like. Uh, when PV meets him, they're kind of, it's kind of like your uncle and your dad getting together, talking uh, avionics and stuff. And then mm-hmm. Cliff walks in and, and he's kind of like, uh, you know, you got to let me use the rocket one more time. It's like talking to your dad and all this and stuff. Terry O'Quinn's great. He's really good in this. That paternal aspect is, is a good point too, because he also had kind of like that in Lost as well, right? He was kind of like the, it was like part paternal, but part sinister as well. Okay. I have never seen an episode of Lost. I got it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was... It was a show. (laughs) (laughs) I heard the ending was not so great. Yeah, it had its ups and downs. It's one of those things that when you watch it, you get it. It it flows better if you're watching it, if you're like binging it, I think when you're yeah, you're not waiting every week. Right. I think when you're waiting, then the payoff at the end is just very disappointing after all that, after all those years. But when you're binging it one after the other, it's it it it's pretty entertaining. Although, yeah, the ending is not that great. Um, Most things don't stick. The ending that lasts them so many years and everything. It's right. Like. But he did have that that uh, that like kind of paternal quality. He had that also in um, uh, and it also with that sinister aspect too. In uh, there's this TV show, short lived, only one season. It was called Six 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 Park Avenue. I'm not sure if you ever. I remember that. that. I watched that. I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did it was. Like that. It was an underrated gem. In fact, I got to see if I can track that down. <laughs> now that I think, yeah, about it. now that I think about it, I was like, geez, did I watch all those because I did enjoy it when I was watching it. Yeah. But yeah, he's great um, in this. Um, Alan Arkin too. Like I always forget it's Alan oh, Arkin until so... I hear his voice because he looks so different from how I usually associate his look now. He looks older than he does in later movies in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, they did him up really well and stuff. I always remember him from Gattaca as the cop and stuff. And, and of course, uh, you know, Catch-22 and everything. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, Which I guess is another big airplane movie, come to think of it. But um, yeah, he's good. Uh, the, the, uh, I set up all the... Everybody does a great job. Uh, the, the guy from uh, Blade Runner, who was the, uh, you know, the designer that they, they tracked mm. down at the end to get them to... Uh, to get them to Tyrell, he's in there in a little bit part. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Max Grodenchik from Deep Space Nine that played uh, Quark is one of the FBI agents in the background and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, I mentioned Cliff, uh, Clint Howard. Um, uh, another Blade Runner connection uh, that his uh, Neville Sinclair's apartment is uh, Deckard's from Blade Runner. It's a Frank Frank mm-hmm. Wright house. And I noticed the tiles when I was watching it last time, and I was like, "Oh, those tiles all look really familiar." And it's uh, Deckard's kitchen and everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright house called the Ennis House in Los Feliz, and it's just south of Griffith Park. Interesting enough, so he actually could uh, do a jaunt and go get over to Griffith Park in time to meet the Nazis. <laughs> well, yeah, you also got William Sanderson. He plays one of the one of the the aviation guys uh, in a s- small part, which I did not even recognize him. Um, Eddie Jones, who had played, you know, Pa Kent in in uh, Lois and Clark. Yeah, John Polito, yeah. the late great John Polito, in a in a great role as Bigelow. Bigelow's great. Um, uh, yeah, he's so like he was in the Crow, right? He was the pawn shop owner, yep. wasn't he? I think. In fact, in the original comic book, 
um, James O'Barr had based that character on John Polito's likeness. And oh. when they did the movie and they asked him and they're asking him for like casting choice, like, I know you're not going to get him, but you should, you should try and see if John Polito can play the, the pawn shop guy. And they're able to get him to do it. But yeah, if you go oh, back and you cool. read, if you go back and you read the original comic book, it's very clearly modeled after John Polito. Oh, I got to check that out again. I got that sitting on the shelf, Joe. That's, that's funny. Uh, one thing I was going to say, uh, maybe that con- contributes to this, uh, to the wholesomeness and feel of this movie, the old fashioned kind of wholesomeness feel. It, it feels like a code movie, even though it's not a code movie, but like, I don't think you ever see any good people die. <laughs> like I was watching this and, and trying to, and I, I watched it and then I thought about it towards the end and I was like, well, I'm not going to rewind it and look again, but like, uh, like Bigelow is, is halfway good. Do you see him get killed? I mean, I know he dies. They say he dies, but like, I think you they see kind his... of advance on him. You see his but body, can't. but we don't actually see him actually getting murdered. Like, yeah, they, the they, they advance on killed. him, and then we see him dead the, in the next scene. You see gangsters get killed, and you see Nazis get killed. You never see anybody mm. good die. <laughs> Even Bigelow is kind of like, um, you know, he, he kind of he's kind of the uh, the mayor in, in Jaws at one point. You know, mm. when it, it's about to be a major catastrophe with, like, planes coming down, and he tells everybody to stay in their seats and everything because he doesn't want to lose. What's he trying to lose there? They've already paid admission. Let him go. You know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's just worried about reputation or something. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's weird. But, um, but yeah, it's it, – you know, you're right. It, it is – this movie, it's very much – it's very much geared for a younger audience, which which also makes it kind of surprising that it's yeah. like when I think about it and how little action there actually is in this movie, it actually surprised me that it it, it had, uh, captured my attention as much as I did when I was eight years old. I guess it's the ambiance. It's it's the feel of the movie itself, not mm-hmm. so much the uh, the action and everything. It really captures the place and time. Um, I love the big uh, hug bar. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. that, that bar is actually over by they they kept i don't know if it's the exact one maybe it's a replica but there's there's a bar over by me i can't remember the name of it but you go in the beer garden in the back and that pug is back there that huge mm-hmm. kind of pug thing you can take pictures in front of it and stuff um yeah it's very old hollywood very old uh, uh old california the orange groves he goes flying through at one point i think she she says her father is an orange grove farmer or something and it's just very, again, it's nostalgic, but yeah, maybe uh, gearing it towards younger kids uh, that are even too young to be nostalgic for, that's that's being mm-hmm. nostal- asking mm-hmm. somebody to be nostalgic for their grandfather's stuff, maybe, or something, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but uh, it's still, it's still, it's a good family movie in that, um, in the in the real sense of family, you know, like a kid can kind of get stuff from it, and you know, there's stuff for the adults to enjoy too, so I really enjoy it. Um there's some great stunts. I don't know about the uh, some of the flight sequences are kind of wonky looking, I guess, you know, um, the the kind of, you know, you get that kind of blur around him when he's in the sky and everything. But uh, uh, this, this, the actual physical stunts, like when the plane crashes in the beginning, like I was trying to figure, was that some kind of mock up or what? Because they really crash a couple of planes. Otherwise, like they, it flies low and the car clips the landing gear off and it smashes into the ground and everything. It's really cool. Uh, airfield gas trucks tr- gas trucks parked on the airfield do, do not fare well in this movie they always they always get crashed into he's got to have a shortage of fuel or something because like uh cars are blowing him up and, and like biplanes are coming down on him and that whole wing walking sequence is uh is really cool when he's like uh he's up on the he's they, they had to shoot a guy i guess with a mock-up parachute mm-hmm. uh, probably walking on the wing and dropping off and stuff but there's the one where he slides down the whole length of the tail of the plane and kind of goes twisting off and uh 
it's a great it's a great scene. He falls into the into a cloud, and then the cloud kind of looks like chuk, chuk, like there's lightning, but it's the engine kicking on, and then he comes flying out on the other end. Obviously, you know, obviously it's the it's the effects double coming flying out of the cloud. But it's a cool, it's a neat sequence, you know. Yeah, uh, there was some some interesting choices too for the for the part of Cliff too, because they had a they had a bunch of trouble finding um finding someone who they felt was right for it. Uh, apparently, and there are a lot of big names that were up for this. Uh, Kevin Costner and Matthew Modine were the first actors, uh, but they were both unavailable. Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Bill Paxton, Emilio Estevez, all of them auditioned. Johnny Depp was Disney's favorite choice. Um, and yeah, Paxton said that. he came very, very close. Uh, mm-hmm. D'Onofrio was Tom offered. Hanks, the- I heard. Oh, really? I didn't see Tom Hanks. But yeah, D'Onofrio was offered the part and he turned it down. And that's, that's crazy. He's great as Robert E. Howard in uh, in uh, Watchmen. Well, he's one of my favorite actors. I love him. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, and then finally, they chose uh, Billy Campbell, um, Joe Johnston, and Dave Stevens. They both felt Campbell was perfect, but Disney wanted an A list actor. And Johnston eventually was able to convince Disney. And um, Campbell had he wasn't a fan of the comics before, but when he started reading them, he fell in love with them. He styled his hair to be just like cliff in the comic books too i've read that yeah it reminded me of uh it reminded me of uh, george lazenby kind of coming in as james bond for the uh thing so he could get the uh he could get the part and everything yeah he got his hair styled like uh, cliff in the comic that's cool yeah yeah um he had uh he'd also you know prepared for it like listening only to 1940s music um and uh he also had a fear of flying but he was able to overcome it with, with the help of the the film's aerial coordinator and him and Jennifer Connelly, they actually began a romantic relationship on the set. Yeah, and, and and Johnson said that actually helped really a lot for their uh, performances. And that you can see true. that a lot. Um, and speaking of those, you know, some of the differences from the comic, what I read too about, and you can tell me how accurate this is, but in the comic, Cliff is, you know, a little bit more of a, is kind of a little bit more dickish in a way in his relationship. And you can see- Yeah, I'm not as- I'm Sorry, not as ahead. enamored with him. I'm not I'm just. Mm. I'm not as enamored with him as a hero in the comic as I am in this movie and stuff. He's more of a like aw shucks kind of Boy Scout kind of guy. Not really a Boy Scout, but I mean, uh, yeah, he's he's a traditional I got to save my girl kind of guy in this and everything. Mm. And, and yeah, he's a little bit like ah, let her. You know, she got herself into this kind of thing in, in the other in the comic and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what I'd read about it. And yeah, he they they find a nice balance of it where he's he's got a little bit of that, like you know. He does get annoyed with her, yeah. Like he gets annoyed with her, right? And you know, he's always taking her to the same place all the time. And there's that great scene when, um, uh, what's her name, Irma, at the at the at the pug cafe after he offends her and she runs out and she's like, "Go on, go after her, <laughs> go on, get her, you big dope, yeah, or something." Yeah, See, I yeah, mean, it's a good rapport. Yeah, they do a good job of kind of softening those edges um from the comic at least from what i've read about the the comic and it's it's kind of maybe it's because this movie wasn't very successful but it does surprise me that billy campbell despite there's all there's so much talent in this film so many well-known actors and billy campbell is kind of the one who's had the the least impressive career out of everybody doesn't go when, on too much yeah that. like i'm i'm happy to see him as like as as uh he was in dracula you know he was he was quincy morris i think in dracula yeah. Wasn't he? Am, I, am I getting that right or am I thinking of somebody else? No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I feel it's one of those things like, oh, man, I really wish that guy would have made it. You know, <laughs> it's like, I mean, he made it, obviously. He's, I'm sure he's doing fine. He's doing better than me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I really wish it's 
I liked him so much in this. You really want him to do well, you know, like and get and go on to bigger things and stuff. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, he's done mostly uh, uh, TV since then. Um, yeah. In yeah, fact, he's that. even played. Um, he does the voice on. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still running on uh, Disney's Rocketeer. Um, oh, the one uh, with the girl, the new one. I haven't yeah, that yeah. Disney. I haven't watched it either. Um, but it's aimed for kids about two to five. It only yeah, had one season. Young, um, but uh, I'm, you know, my my daughter's two years old now, so I think I'm going to try and see if I can get her into it. Um, oh. But yeah, Billy Campbell plays. So the main character in that is uh, Kit Secord, a seven year old girl <laughs> who receives the family jetpack, and she's next in line to become the Rocketeer. Uh, she's Cliff Secord's great granddaughter, and okay. her father, Dave Secord, is a is a stunt pilot, and uh, he is voiced by Billy Campbell. That's cool. I didn't know that. All right, that makes me more kind of interested in it. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a neat little uh, a little connection to the original. That's cool. It's not a remake then entirely. It's it's like a I guess a recall they call it or something, huh? Yeah, it's kind of like a continuation in a way, mm-hmm. which um, which also there's been talks for years about doing a kind of continuation with uh, with this movie, um, you know, because Stevens and uh, the screenwriters, they had actually envisioned this as the first movie in a trilogy. Um, and Disney also hoped it would be very similar to the Indiana Jones franchise. Mm-hmm. Campbell and Connolly were contracted for for sequels. Uh, but then those plans pretty much, you know, ended after the film's um, disappointing uh, performance at the box office. Uh, that's right. And up then there with the Master and Commander and uh, and uh, Remo Williams, then for sequels, you wish. Right. Could yeah. Have happened and stuff. yeah. Um, but in 2012, Disney was starting to work on development on, on a remake or a sequel. And James Wan was involved at one point as a director, which he'd be amazing oh, to well. direct that. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Um, but they were talking about there are a few different ones, like a reboot sequel that takes place six years after the original with um, a black female pilot as the lead. Um, after so, like the the original plot was like uh, Cliff Secord would have gone missing while fighting the Nazis, and then this black female pilot would have taken on the the mantle. Kind and of then like a there Bessie was Smith or something. That's really cool. Something like that. Cool. Yeah, there was also in 2020. It was announced that. Uh, Ozzy Squire had written a new draft of the film and it was announced the return of the Rocketeer. Um, David Oyelowo and, and his wife were serving as producers and oh, talking well, about from, how from uh, get out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Um, cool. And then uh, the plot would center on a former Tuskegee airman who inherits the rocket pack and the uniform. That's um, a great then, idea. That's an amazing idea. But then, uh, so uh, who was it? J.D. Dillard was set to direct, but uh, just last year in November, he said he's no longer attached to the project because he wanted to take a breather from period aviation after he made uh, Devotion. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what what the status is with now. That's that's like the latest I found about it now. But if I they like get that that, uh, that African American angle is awesome. I, mm. That was another that was another question I, I had about this that I didn't voice, you know, not just uh, like non-Americans, but I, I wondered uh, what African-Americans thought of this movie, if, if it hit with them too, because like, uh, it's, it's a pretty white movie, you know I mean? I guess it's all white mm-hmm. guys and stuff. But it's, it's very kind of uh, like a white bread movie, I guess, but I, that's cool to hear that like, uh, you know, um, African-American artists were like keen on it and stuff. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what the iteration of the, of the, uh, 
of the cartoon. It, it must have evolved into the cartoon, right? Because the cartoon was a, a young African-American girl and everything, right? So I believe so. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, I think so. Um, or mixed race or something like that. I don't remember. I have to look it up. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think so. I remember from seeing some images here and there. That's great. I'm, I'm glad because <laughs> I, I, I love this movie so much. I just I like tell everybody to watch this. It's it's literally my I said before, it's my favorite superhero movie, uh, even though like it's it's a superhero that only had what, like four issues or something, maybe. Yeah. Know, yeah. Total, I, don't know. I mean, it it's a great movie. It holds up very well. I mean, again, like my biggest thing is just I, I wish there was more of it. I wish we got yeah. to see more more action, you know, and I think part of it is just the the time it was made in like it you know because it's it's a time period when hollywood's not really sure about superhero movies so yeah. we don't want to use too much of him in the in the yeah, helmet the punisher couldn't that. wear his skull the punisher couldn't wear his skull and right like, uh, right all the all the iterations on tv like uh daredevil was in all black and, and uh, thor was he just looked like i don't know like he was in man of war or something <laughs> right yeah 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 they yeah, were very it, uh, very kind of self-conscious about the 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 long underwear and all that i guess mm, <laughs> but. very much yeah yeah i mean i it, it wasn't really until spider-man that we finally that we went back to superheroes wearing their costumes in live mm -hmm. action because mm -hmm. and, and and which which makes sense for the time and you know but like that's where we got like the x-men in black leather and all that batman mm -hmm. was all in black rubber and all that kind of stuff um and yeah, I think this was one of those cases where they just, they didn't really know what they had, I think. And yeah, obviously, and the people, I don't think audiences did. knew. I don't think exactly, most audiences yeah. even knew what they had. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's why the film was a disappointment at the box office. And it's only later that it developed this cult following. And I think if this movie was released now, like first off, oh, it would yeah. probably had a much bigger budget, probably have a much larger scale story, a lot more mm -hmm. action in it. But then I think it would have gone on to have a much, be, a much be much more well received. Do you think part of it was because it was a Disney movie too? It had the Disney label on it, and Disney was kind of still in that era where people were like, uh, you know, they they thought of live action Disney movies as like you know the cat from outer space and you know stuff. Uh, that they were more into the it was more known for animation, and they're kind of like, hey, Disney, stop making you know stop trying to make live action movies and stuff. Maybe I don't know. No, that's a very good point. I think that probably also had an influence on public's perception of it because. You know, especially if you look at some of the some of the posters of it, it's very much kind of like that Walt Disney type of live action movie, which is like almost direct to video type of thing that you yeah. saw a lot of in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, their live action offerings were not very impressive back in those days. And this was really an outlier. So I think there's stuff like that. Right. Yeah, uh, I think I think there's definitely something to that. Yeah, it's a shame because it's it's it really slaps. It's a great movie. Um, it, I know, and everybody, I love meeting people that love it too. You know, because it's like you're sharing this thing that uh, it's kind of like a club, you know, like a secret club or something. Mm -hmm. uh, Little Orphan Annies or something. I have no idea, but uh, yeah, it's very it's very fun to find and just to just find people to talk about and gush over this movie with because uh, it's oh, just yeah, wonderful. Yeah. I think. yeah, I mean, there's this one poster and going up because I think this is a definite. I'll I'll show you the the screenshot here, and I think this is definitely indicative of what people probably thought of it because if you look at this poster and i remember seeing this poster in the theater yeah it's not it's one. not at all impressive it looks no. terrible yeah. um and i think They're this is still together. like very cobbled together and it does have with the with the big disney logo on it so prominently it does mm -hmm. 
feel it it doesn't look impressive based on this. Whereas, you know, the the Art Deco poster, which we talked about, is amazing. Arresting. It looks so good. It's yeah. a great image. Yeah, it's really cool. And I yeah, think that's kind of like that he's, definitely he's, influence. It's, it's like chopped faces and and even Jennifer Connelly's expression. She's kind of she looks very uh, it looks like a kid's movie. Yeah, it looks like mm. this is only for kids and nobody's gonna enjoy this. That's too bad. Um, um but yeah. Uh, any final this, things you wanted to mention about this this movie? Just that, like, um, what what's fantastic about this movie is, uh, I, so movies, the the best movies, I think, are called movies because they move you in some way and everything. I get so many, like, chills watching this movie and stuff sometimes. Like, the, the, that line you mentioned where Paul Servino turns on the Nazis mm. is so great. And, like, uh, the, yeah, where he's, like, uh, when he's in front of the flag at the end and everything. And for, for them to to be able to pull all that, all those moments off for Johnson to be able to pull all those moments off to, to, to get these big emotional moments, emotional reactions out of me in something that at the time, uh, you know, I was not invested in. It was, it was a, it was a totally new thing. It was not like I came to this with nostalgia already for the character or something like, Oh, I'm going to see the rocketeer and he's going to do this. You know, this is something, this is a, this is a new animal, you know, like, it's and when I saw it in the uh, in the theater too, like all these big reactions, the Paul Servino line got such a huge, you know, like oh, practically a standing ovation, you know, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, for him to pull that off for something that's a completely, to me, like a completely original creation with no, you know, this wasn't Star Wars coming back. This wasn't like, uh, you know, your favorite characters from like, uh, you know, some IP that you already knew and stuff. To pull that right, off, right, right character is a real accomplishment and stuff the only time i've ever even seen this come close is like and this is gonna this is gonna be crazy but like uh, a buddy of mine went you know blind to go see real steel <laughs> the movie with the boxing robots <laughs> and like we were like this is gonna be crap you know but like uh the the relationship and everything was played off so well and everything that at the end when hugh jackman is throwing the punches and, and, the, and the kid is like looking at him with these loving eyes and stuff the whole audience was like cheering it's such a great theatrical like uh experience and stuff that's the only thing I can attribute it to out of all the movies I've seen, you know, because, uh, you know, you go into a Star Wars movie, you're going to expect a lot of Star Wars fans to overreact to stuff and everything. And Marvel right, fans, right. When, oh, on your left, everybody's going to blow up, you know, Avengers mm-hmm. Assemble, you know, you're waiting for things to happen with this. There's nothing to wait for, but it's still you still get those moments. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if if they find a way to bring this back, I mean, I think it's, it's also so much more relevant now than it was even in, in 1991. Like, you know, yes. we're seeing I'm like the resurgence, <laughs> right? Exactly. We're seeing this resurgence uh, of fascist ideal idealization and all that kind of stuff. And it, especially when you compare it to what was happening in America back then, because again, like I mentioned at the top of this, people forget that there was a lot of Nazi sympathizers in America. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Jack Kirby stories is, you know, he was writing Captain America before the U S went into the war before um, back at a time when being anti-Nazi was kind of controversial. Yeah. And you had these American, right. And you had these Germany don't rock the boat. Yeah. <laughs> and there were, there were American Nazis who called up Marvel's offices and they're like, we want to see this Jack Kirby guy. Who's, you know, this Jewish guy who's writing these captain America comic books. And we're like, we're downstairs right now. Jack Kirby's like, okay, fine. He rolls up his sleeves and he goes down the stairs <laughs> and then they, they run away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he did the, uh, I think, didn't he do the, the punch out Hitler uh, cover before, we were at war with Hitler and everything, yep, you know? Yep. Yep. Came and, out and uh, like, about uh, a year before. This, 
there's a little bit of that in um in in the scene when Cliff goes to the movies with uh with uh, Jenny and they go to that there's that movie tone thing happening and they're showing like uh Hitler assures you know the world that he's not amassing troops on the Czech border and all this and you know Cliff is under his breath like yeah right no that's you know stuff mm-hmm. and like so it's kind of like he was still yeah Hitler was still kind of like an, an on top of the table kind of guy you know people didn't really like they were they were like some people were nervous of him and the people who were paying the most attention were obviously speaking out against him but a lot of people mm. were not yeah, a lot of people were just like oh yeah look at that hitler guy he's you know he's got yeah. those cool hugo boss outfits <laughs> i don't know what you know it doing. it never it never struck me until watching this that last night that theater scene when i'm when i realized i'm like and everybody's like shushing him and you think it's because oh well he's talking in the movie of course they're going to shush him but now i realize like oh wait no that was actually a controversial thing to say back yeah. then at that time yeah it was and probably I mean, Disney shushing him. It was probably Walt Disney in the background. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a great documentary that Ken Burns did um, fairly recently called uh, The U.S. and the Holocaust. I'm not sure if you saw it. It was airing. On I have that in my queue. I want to watch that. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And it talks about a lot of this stuff and a lot of the, the Nazi sympathies going on during World War II. There was also Rachel Maddow also did a podcast fairly recently. I can't remember what it's called, but it was all about like the the fascist sympathizers in America leading up to World War II. Um, and then there's also uh, Hitler's American Friends was a book that had come out recently. So this is a good time to re-explore some of this stuff. And I think I, it would be a really good thing to to go back and bring this character back and to examine yeah. that period of life back then. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. You see it in a new light with the uh, the uh, current events going on and everything mm-hmm. for sure. Like when he gives the line about when Sinclair is like, "Oh, she's like, oh my God, Neville Sinclair is." Uh, and he's like, "What? Uh, a spy, a saboteur, a fascist, and all this, mm-hmm. and everything." You know, he, he just kind of revels in it and stuff. And you know, there there are guys that are, that are out there in our society today that are. We got a lot of Neville Sinclairs running around. Honestly, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, I mean, great movie. If if you're if you're for some reason you haven't seen this movie, if it never landed on your radar, then best thing I could say is just you know go watch it. It's I'm I'm very certain it's on Disney Plus. I mean, I've got had the DVD for yeah, years, that's so where I, I watched know. it. Okay, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, it. yeah. I mean, highest you know, possible that, recommendation. Yes, very good movie. It's very fun. Um, and again, like the biggest. The biggest downside I can say is just that it's it, there's not more of it, and I wanted there to be more. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, okay, Ed, but I think that's all we have to say about the Rocketeer. So why don't you tell people where they can find you and your stuff? Uh, well, I'm all over Amazon. I'm all over. I'm on Facebook much more than I should be. Um, <laughs> I got a blog, uh, Delirium Tremens, is where you can find uh, excerpts from my work and links to everything and. Uh, news you can get autographed books and stuff uh that's uh emerdelac e-m-e-r-d-e-l-a-c at wordpress.com you can find me there and on twitter the usual places you know okay great uh so we'll have those links in the show notes make make sure to check those out um our website is superherocinephiles.com super cinema pod is the web is the the twitter and instagram handles and if you sign up for our patreon site you get access to these episodes a week in advance with no ads and also you get access to the superhero cinephiles book club um if you're part of the book club then you may have already heard the ep- we're recording the the movie episodes are far in advance so but uh actually 
very soon, I think maybe tomorrow or the day after, Ed is and I are going to be recording an episode for the book club. We're going to be talking about Unknown Soldier. By the time you listen to that, that will probably already be on the book club feed. But if you're not a member, you can go sign up for as little as a dollar a month, get access to that and all the other um, episodes where we talk about comics and graphic novels. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.